Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the In Context and Culture podcast. Once again, we are glad that you are joining us for another episode. We took a week off, but we are now back to it. We're in Revelation chapter 7. Um, we talked just this past week about Revelation chapter 6, or I guess two weeks ago about Revelation chapter 6. And Revelation chapter 6 is unique because as one commentator mentions, it's the place in which uh, revelation interpreters come to shake hands to not shake again until revelation 19 and so you'll begin to start seeing and hearing um our differing opinions maybe even different opinions amongst ourselves on what is going to take place throughout the rest of the book of revelation until the return of christ but um, as we mentioned there are good godly men and women who disagree with us uh, we're doing our best to be as uh, faithful to the text as we can be um, with uh, a framework in our own mind of how we believe um, based upon other passages of scripture, um, the end will come to its full uh, consummation. So just want to do a couple things before we begin here. Uh, Corey, I'm just going to ask you a few random questions. Is that all right? All right, shoot. Um, I'm running the show. So um, my first question is this. Did you see that uh, John Piper has a new book out, 700 page book, red book called Providence? My computer that I'm recording on is actually sitting on that right now. Did you get it in? I did. Have you started it yet? I have not. I I think mine should be in today or tomorrow. So I bought it pretty pretty quickly, and uh, I bought it from Westminster Bookstore, which we Me are. Um, yeah, which we're not being sponsored by. Um, hint, Westminster. <laughs> but we're open to that. <laughs> But um, it was like 50% off or something like that from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shipping took, of course, a little bit longer than Amazon, but um, I'm excited to read it. I wanted to, so I oversee our young adults and I want to get a group of them and just read it, you know, you know, meet every couple of weeks and just read the book. So I'm thinking about doing that. <laughs> Over the so, course of three years. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, in Shriner's class, we just had to read like a 900 page book, his uh, New Testament theology in like five weeks. So yeah. I, I, I could do it's it intense. faster. Um, but um, any good resources you want to just recommend to anyone, anything you've watched, read, listened to? Um, I've got an article I just read. I've been doing these things where I'm putting up three articles every week, three resources for people to read. They're just recommended resources. And I've got one already for next Monday. But well, I haven't actually started this one yet, but I'm super excited to dive into it. Uh, it's this uh, corporate worship book that's probably going to show up backwards on your screen. But um, anyway, it's by Matt Merker, um, and it's uh, one of the nine marks building healthy churches. And uh, it's a little longer than one of their other uh, books in that. But I'm excited to get into that, the, the, what corporate worship is all about. There's my nine marks books right there. Oh, Okay. Just, I thought you, know, you were wiping something running. off your screen. It's a little confused. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super cool. I've heard really good things about the book. I put up a review on my recommended resources um, on my you know Facebook page or whatever uh, just a couple weeks ago, and I read you know some different um, excerpts from the book that looked great. So you have to let me know how it is. Um, a resource that I'd love to throw out there is I'm a huge fan of Kevin DeYoung. I'm meeting with a student right now, reading The Hole in Our Holiness. And um, Kevin DeYoung uh, is just, I think, one of the greatest preachers, teachers probably of our day right now. Um, and uh, he just wrote an article talking about um, uh, race, gender, and politics and how it's divided many even in the same camp of doctrine. 
Um, uh, he talked about how the reform movement kind of um, uh, was very united for a number of years, even though they differed on church philosophy, right? Um, and now in the last uh, four, five, six years, uh, we've seen a lot of fractions, fractures out of that group. Um, so uh, yeah, he kind of traces it down, I think speaks very charitably about why someone would hold this view versus why someone would hold this view. And if they have this mindset toward the culture, they're going to have kind of this idea toward the things that the culture is bringing out. If they have this mindset toward the culture, then have these ideas about the things that the culture is bringing out. So it was really informative, I think, helpful. Um, I thought he um, categorized uh, and assessed different groups of people well in that um, and even kind of spoke to how they would speak online to one another, uh, why some groups are louder than others, um, and why there's disagreements between them. So I thought it was a great article. It's on TGC. I don't remember the name of it, but check it out. So TGC, Kevin DeYoung, Race, Gender, and Politics. Yeah. Hey, let's uh, get back in the book. Do you have something else? I'm just going to say all those topics you don't bring up at a dinner party. Not divisive at all, right? Yeah. Um, mm. Hey, we're in the book of Revelation. Just a few things as we get started. Um, just as a reminder, we looked at the book and that there's three genres within the book, that it's apocalyptic literature, very symbolic, that uh, it is um, prophetic. It mentions that from the very beginning of the book. And then it also includes within it epistle, an epistle to seven real yet representative churches. Those churches are mentioned in chapters two and three, um, specific things that the church might be faithful in the midst of uh, tribulation and persecution. And then in chapters four and five, you see John in the throne room of heaven. Uh, he sees God the Father on his throne and angels surrounding him, worshiping him. Then you see in chapter five, um, the fact that he has a scroll in his right hand. And you see the Son of Man, that is Christ, come uh, come and uh, uh, because of his worthiness was able to take the scroll and oversee with his authority what would continue to take place for the church. Um uh, and, and, and Christ as he enacts judgment and saves his people. Um, and then uh, in chapter six, you see the unfolding of um, difficulty, persecution throughout the days of um, the church age. Uh, we looked at the four horsemen. We looked at the martyrdom to come, all of those types of things. So now in chapter seven um, uh, is where we find ourselves. And before we begin to answer the question that chapter seven answers and talk through it, Corey, would you want to read chapter seven? It's kind of long, um, but would you want to go ahead and read chapter seven? Sure. Sure. We reading from the English standard version starting in chapter or verse one. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard a number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of, tribe of Zebulun, 
12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he, sit, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So we were in chapter 7. Um, if you weren't following along, make sure you hop over to chapter seven um, someday, uh, sometime today in your reading, uh, because we're going to walk through it together. Corey, I have a question, uh, and then we'll look at the four things we're going to talk about. Um, I had a student not long ago. We do a Q&A um, for our student ministry students, and um, it's this anonymous Q&A where they can write into um, uh, like a questionnaire uh, any question that they have. And a student very articulately asked a question and put Bible verses in reference to this question and said, hey, I have a friend who is a flat earther. And um, in, is there biblical precedent for the earth being flat? And one of the verses they used was chapter seven, verse one. It says the four corners of the earth. So, Corey, just in brief, is the earth flat? No. Okay. So. <laughs> that brief enough? <laughs> well, the, the, the student really, at, I mean, a lot of times you get questions like that and they won't have Bible references, you know, put, put, put right. in them. And so once again, the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. And not only that, we always talk about, I'm not always, but many times uh, it's mentioned uh, that if something is on the four corners of something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a square, <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah. it's covering all of it. So um, just, I just, I saw the verse and I was reminded by that. What are the four things that we wanted to talk about? Um, because we are not going to be able to hit everything in this whole chapter. So what are four things we think that are important, Corey, just to make sure we mention throughout this book? And where should we start? Uh, well, the four things that we talked about were um, the ceiling, uh, answering the question um, that is posed uh, at the end of chapter six, because, you know, we look at that question, who can stand that, that was asked there at the, the end of chapter six. And really, this is this is answering that question. So we're going to talk about the ceiling. We're going to talk about the 144,000, um, their identity, what that means for uh, beliefs. Um, we're going to look at the multitude there and try to determine who they are. And then also just the idea of the ending there, like where that's at um, and what that 
signifies, what, what that gives us uh, as believers even now. So, and so you mentioned you start off with the ceiling there. Yeah. You mentioned that there's a question that is answered. And I think that's really, really important because I think we both would agree that chapter seven is kind of like an interlude um, uh, where uh, Jesus points John to um, uh, the church and answers a great question asked um, by unbelievers who are experiencing the wrath of God, who are running into caves and saying, caves, please fall upon us and kill us. We can't stand. Who could, right? And then chapter seven kind of sweeps in the picture and answers that question. So wrath of God coming against humanity for their sin in this great judgment, questions answered, who can stand when Christ returns with his wrath? Who? So, Corey, do you want to just help me out with that question? Well, I think. Well, the will there that, be? Will there be anybody standing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, there will be those standing, and uh, we see these angels. Because, uh, they will be standing. Yes, and I think, and I think you <laughs> I'm see just going to sorry because. Because you ha- you see them actually holding back the judgment that's coming yeah. uh, here in the first part of that. Uh, those are the angels that hold back the four winds, which are the judge, which is the judgment of God that's coming on the earth. And you see this angel coming up who has the seal, this angel that is ascending with the seal of God. And those that can withstand the wrath of God are those who have been sealed by God. And this, this angel has this seal. And I think there is this, this, picture of a seal that you find kind of in the first century there that where a king would have a seal that uh, he would see it's like a wax seal so you melt a little wax you have this signet that's in you you impress into the wax that that is your seal that's the sign of the king and so there's this idea here that that this angel rising from the sun with the seal of the living god is, is said that the that they cannot harm the the earth or the sea uh, until they have been sealed. And so the ones that are going to be protected from the wrath of God are those who have been sealed um, by God. Okay. And so you want to expound on maybe what that seal is? Yeah, sure. So um, God's about to bring his wrath and basically an angel who's been given this task says, stop, right? Don't, don't let anything happen just yet because God's intention is to seal his people, right? So that they won't be harmed, right? So that the full number will be quote unquote sealed, right? Um, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads, right? So um, Corey, you and I uh, would not take this as a literal um, seal in the sense of someone being stamped with wax upon their heads that will be walking around in the future one day with some sort of, you know, insignia uh, affixed with wax upon our heads. But rather, uh, this is the same phrase used in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit that guarantees us, that seals us um, until the day of redemption, right? That is the day, uh, not that we'll be. Um, uh, called the children of God by virtue of our justification. Um, 
because we already are justified in the Lord's eyes by virtue of our belief in God. Um, but the day of redemption, as in when Christ returns and glorifies we, his people. And so we do have presently the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, our lives, setting us apart as his people, even while we endure persecution, difficult days, hard circumstances, tribulation. Um, but we have the promised Holy Spirit indwelt within us um, that will keep us, hold us fast, and enable us to stand amidst persecution so that when Christ returns, um, uh, it will be glorious for us rather than damning, right? So the answer to who can stand is, well, the people of God can stand because they've been sealed by God, right? Yeah. They've been set apart as his, um, as his people. So um, the Bible speaks very clear that the, the people of God are not destined for wrath. Um, and so I, I think um, that there will be a moment in time in which Christ returns the white uh, rider on the th on the on the white horse revelation 19 gives a great example of that where he's going to come and just make war and i don't think we'll experience any of that i think we'll experience persecution until that time but i do not think we'll experience the wrath of god um, right. um so we're sealed from that it, and i think it's important to note too that this has it has old testament an Old Testament background. Like if you went back to Jeremiah 49, like God's getting ready to bring judgment on Elam and, um, and it's coming from the four winds. Um, and so, you know, there is this idea of judgment coming, but before that happens, th these people are sealed. Cause he, he says to, he says to others to go out and put the seal of God on them. And so the, you know, I think it's in, um, I don't know if it may be in Ezekiel, but there's this idea that, that God gives this one who's dressed in linen, um, tells him to go out and seal um, the ones in Jerusalem who've not uh, bowed the knee uh, in idolatry, who grieve over the idolatrous things and the abominations that are going on. And so God tells them to seal them. And then the judgment comes against all those hmm. who had been involved in the idolatry and the abominations. And so, um, this does have Old Testament precedent. Like we're not just making this up out of thin air. Um, so the the whole idea of God sealing people for their protection. And I think that's yeah. important too, that we bring out because there is a purpose in this sealing. It is for their protection that, that they're going to be sealed. Like you said, we're not going to experience the wrath of God, but there's even something more that they're, that they're sealed for. And that's, a seal is a mark of ownership on them. And, yeah. you know, um, later in the book of revelation, we're going to see that there's a, there's like a counterfeit to this with the mark of the beast. Uh, and so there's, there's the implication there that, that those who have the mark of the beast are owned by him. But here um, this implies that those who are sealed are owned by God. They are his, uh, they are the redeemed. So I don't want to take talk about um, infringe upon any anyone's conscience or individual liberties to take a certain vaccination or um, receive a microchip in their hand. But are you saying that the mark of the beast is not something accidental? Yeah, I think you're absolutely going to know. Okay. Um, it, it's something. It's something where you're giving allegiance to someone or something. Okay. So okay. like a particular body or individual. Uh, I think you're going to, you're going to willingly and knowingly give an allegiance to. 
I think, I think that's really helpful for just us to articulate that the mark of the beast is not something you might accidentally do to um, um, encourage believers that, hey, you don't have to worry that by virtue of one, or I keep saying by virtue, by the action of one thing you accidentally do, you're going to lose the hope of your inheritance by right. God. It is, it is he who holds you. It is he who seals you, right? right. Um, uh, so I think that's just important. I think it's important too, um, and it's going to lead into our next topic, is um, we, because we think this is the Holy Spirit sealing and not necessarily just one individual future sealing where everybody's sealed at once, um, that means that sealing is, uh, is, is still occurring in many ways. Um, every time a believer, well, an unbeliever comes to um, faith and trust in Christ, they are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, could it be, Corey, I'm just thinking out loud, could it be, Corey, that the angels are waiting until the full number of the fold of God is sealed? Meaning uh, when uh, all of those that come to faith and trust in Christ at the end of the time of his you know, uh, uh, gracious patience is, is ended, then that's when he'll return. Yeah, I would think so. And like, yeah. you've got indications other places in scriptures too, that other things have to be fulfilled. Like, for sure, like the gospel has to go to all the nations and, sure. uh, the full number of martyrs have to be, you know, the full number of people that are going to be martyred have to be martyred. Uh, and that's par- that partly happens. what I'm, yeah, and that's probably what I'm talking about is, I mean, you're going to see in just a minute all these tribes, nations, tongues, peoples, nations, you know, come to worship the Lord or, or, mm-hmm. or many people from all these different places. And so um, uh, part of the Lord's uh, hesitation in not bringing his wrath upon even today is because the full number of people that will come to know him as the gospel goes out uh, has not reached that point. And so there's still people being sealed even today by the promised Holy spirit. And it is until that day of the last person being sealed when he will return. So angels are in some ways holding back in in a sense, because it's not the time yet for Christ to come and the wrath of God to reach its fullness at his return. So, okay. So here's my question. We've obviously been talking about the fact that we think the seal is not necessarily one individual wax seal in the future on the heads of people quite literally. Um, And we've talked about, um, that um, it, it's applied uh, um, or given through belief in Christ um, to all people who trust in Christ, Jews, Gentiles, everyone, no matter where they're at, where they're from, what their background is, what blood flows through their veins, ethnicity, heritage. Um, but Corey, I, it seems confusing though, because if you look in verses one through eight, verse verse nine against verses nine through is it 17 where, where it ends? Um, verses mm-hmm. one through eight clearly talk about um, Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it talks about 12,000 from this tribe, this tribe, this tribe, this tribe, this tribe, 12 tribes, 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000 total. Um, now, I can we can clearly say that Jehovah's Witness believe that that's only 144,000 that will basically enter a specific part of heaven, I think, the elect. Um, we don't think that. Um, we would say that they're uh, modern day Aryans. It's a cult, right? But um, we need to kind of just understand here. We've already made some statements that it's alluded to it, but we don't think that this is just ethnic Israel because we've said the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit's not reserved just for ethnic Israel. You and I have the Holy Spirit and I'm not, I'm not Jewish, right? So why would we think that 
what seems to be clearly Israel is not Israel. Do you want to start on that? And I think we can just well, go back and forth for a few reasons. You give a reason, yeah. I give a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's first helpful to, um, to just give one scripture and maybe I'll give some more in a minute, but um, Galatians 3.29 says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so because just because this talks about 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000, doesn't necessarily mean it's talking about ethnic Israel. Um, one of the reasons I think you see that is because there's, this list is not like any other list of the 12 tribes of Israel in Scripture. Uh, there are some tribes that are omitted. Um, Ephraim and um, Dan are omitted from this list. And Joseph is put in there, but Manasseh was one of Joseph's sons. So it's almost as if Manasseh is in there twice. Right. And That's so, weird. so, you know, this, this list is not like any other. And it, they're po- one of the possibilities of why those two tribes are omit- omitted is because that they're um, the, both of those tribes, um, Dan fell into idolatry. Um, I think it's in the book of Judges. We find that. And then also whenever the northern and the southern tribes of Israel um, were split into two kingdoms, um, the northern tribe or the northern half was often referred to as Ephraim. And they were they were caught up in idolatry as well. So that may be one of the reasons why um, why they're omitted. So, um, you know, this is this is not like any other list of the 12 tribes of Israel in the old Testament. So it could be a possibility that, that, that means something different than just the ethnic Jews. Yeah. And not only is it different in that way, but you have, I mean, uh, you have Bilhah and Zilpah's sons, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, right? Not, not the sons of Leah and, Leah and Rachel, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah put in prominence even above them in a list. It's kind of interesting, mm-hmm. right? But but let's let's do some theological work here because you, you you started some theological work before we even look at the oddities of the list itself, right? Um, you mentioned Galatians three, is it twenty nine? Mm-hmm. Big three twenty nine. It talks about basically if you have trusted in Christ, you are a descendant of Abraham yourself. He is yeah. your father, right? Uh, does it ever? Uh, I'm going to that. Um, uh, so I was going to go down a, a trail. I'm not going to go down, but. Um, uh, John the Baptist, Luke chapter three, is calling his own people, his kinsmen in the flesh, Jewish brethren, Jewish brothers, to repent of their sin, um, to be baptized. Well, Gentiles got baptized. Jews did not get baptized. Gentile converts got baptized because that confessed that you needed repentance to be in a right relationship with the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. It, was a, it, was a, it was a it was a symbolic picture of one's need for the cleansing of their own sin, and. Um, and so they did that to Gentiles. And so John the Baptist is calling upon Jews with unrepentant sin to stoop low enough to become like Gentiles because they needed forgiveness of their sins as well. Right. And they refused to do so. And he said, do not presume that just because you are of Abraham's lineage, you will be safe from the wrath to come. God can make these stones, his sons. Well, the, Interesting thing is he doesn't make stones, his sons. He makes all who do repent and believe 
whether or not they're Jewish or Gentile, his sons. John chapter one, right? Not by, um, to all those who did receive him, right? Um, Not by blood nor the will of man, but by belief in the name of the son of the Lord Jesus, he called them his children. And so you become a child of God, not because of your ethnic lineage or your heritage, but by virtue of your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you reject Jesus, you do not receive his kingdom. You can expect his wrath. And that's what the Bible is very clear about. I mean, if, if that's not enough, the church is referred to as the 12 tribes of Israel in James 1, Matthew 19, Luke 22, right? First Peter chapter one and chapter two, that refers to the church as the exiles of God, right? Which refers back to chapter to Daniel. So they're like Daniel awaiting the new Jerusalem as Daniel waited for Jerusalem in Daniel chapter six. Um, First Peter chapter two, he uses Exodus 19 to basically say you're a chosen people, a role, uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, a priesthood, uh, a chosen race. There we go. Um, and it uses Exodus 19 when he's making a covenant with his people in the Old Testament. He's making a covenant with his people that is not a um, perishable covenant um, with the people of God. Um, you've got descriptions of Israel piled up as the church in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. You got God's very own people um, uh, as the church in Titus 2. You've got the circumcision in Philippians 3 set of the church, right? Um, uh, you've got those who say that they are Jews already mentioned in Revelation chapter two, but they are not actually God's people, right? And then you've got the new Jerusalem in chapter 21 as the home of Christians, the church who's believed in God. And so, I mean, this is all throughout the New Testament is, okay, who's Israel, right? Well, Christ is the true Israel and all who are in him are his people, right? Um uh, I mean, even when he picks his 12 disciples, right, he's he's using 12 as a specific example yeah. of, hey, this is my people continued throughout the, the course of history. Right. Um, so um, I think we have very good theological, a very good theological background to when we see Israel to, to second guess whether or not he's just talking about ethnic Israel or not. Right. So with that started, then we start to see some oddities in the list. Anything you want to say? There's more oddities well, in the list. I think I think that one of the things that helps us bridge here is like understanding that Christ, you said Christ is the true Israel. Well, yeah. like where do we get that? Um, it's if you go back to Matthew, we see that that Jesus, whenever uh, whenever he was a baby, uh, Joseph was given instruction to take him and Mary to Egypt uh, because Herod wanted to kill him. And so, um, then he was instructed to bring Christ back because it said out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, in the old Testament, um, Israel was called God's son. Mm. And so now you, you see this picture of Jesus coming out of Egypt, just like the children of Israel came out in the Exodus. And then there's another reference there. Whenever Herod realized that he had been duped by the wise men and, uh, and they went back another way and he had all of the, he had all of the male children to and under killed. And it talks about the, the, the weeping loudly, um, Rachel weeping for her children. Well, that's the idea of the, 
the children of Israel being taken into uh, Babylonian captivity, but then Christ was brought back um, into Nazareth. And so the idea of here, Christ is coming out of the captivity, uh, just like the children of Israel were. And so like you see these pictures uh, in Matthew of Christ being the true Israel. And so therefore he is the bridge between old Israel and the new Israel or the, the true Israel who is him, but we are in him. So then we are part of that true Israel. So that may be a little more information we need to go over, but I think it's important to see Christ as that bridge and why we can say that, no, this is the true Israel here. Who are truly the people of God. Yes. Those that receive yeah. Christ. And that's the only qualifier the New Testament gives us for who are the people of God and who are not the people of God. Mm -hmm. And you said, yeah, he's the true Israel. You got another example in Luke chapter um, uh, uh, four, when he's in the wilderness. I mean, he is withstanding yeah. temptation as he's in the wilderness for 40 days, right? Well, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, um, consistently giving into temptation, right? Um, wandering and... Um, uh, you know, Christ was the true and greater Israel who was able to be sin, who, who was sinless, who was righteous and proved so even being tempted by Satan himself in his wilderness days. So um, he's bringing himself to be the true and greater Israel, um, he himself. So, um, so with that, we have a good reason, I think, theologically to ask the question, okay, there, there, there's probably a good reason to not just assume from the out from the forefront that this is ethnic Israel, right? Um, and just ethnic Israel. Uh, and then you mentioned some of the oddities of the list, who's included, who's not included. This doesn't find itself in any Old Testament reference. I've got a few other reasons. Judah heads the list. Why does Judah head the list? Reuben's the head of the list. He's the oldest, right? But Christ is of the tribe of Judah, right? Yeah. Um, he's the lion of Judah. And so um, all who are in him, he is the head of the church. All who are in him are his church. That's another good reason, I think. Um, I think another uh, uh, good reason to think um, is you've got um, uh, um, in, in chapter five uh, of the book of Revelation, you see that, that, that John hears about this lion, the lion of Judah that is conquered, right? Who is worthy to take the scroll. Um, but when John looks to see who it is that is worthy to take the scroll. He doesn't see a lion. Um, he sees a lamb, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's a pretty consistent framework throughout the, the, the book of Revelation. What John hears or what John expects is not what John truly sees. And so he hears a roll call of Israel, but what he sees is a multitude of people from every nation, not just the nation of Israel, yeah. right? So um, we think those that are sealed here are not... Um, a group of people left on earth while other people are up in heaven, right? We think this is the people of God on earth sealed while maybe enduring persecution throughout the church age sealed um, uh, with the promise of uh, uh, the resurrection of their bodies, the redemption of their souls, the, 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 the hope of glory, right? Enduring persecution, but not losing salvation. Um, and then he sees this, multitude is this a different group that's the second or third question and a third topic i want to talk about is the, the the israel which we think is the church um consisting of jews and gentiles and then the multitude is that two different groups of people why or why not 
No, I don't think it is. I mean, if if all of the if this group beginning here with the 144,000 is representative of church, the church is understood to be all believers. And you know, Jesus he gave the uh, he gave the great commission to go make disciples of all nations, which is all ethnes, all uh, people groups. And here you find here around the throne in uh, verse nine, people from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. And every so nation would include too- Israel. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, so again, going back to what you said a minute ago, he heard something, but then he sees something else. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude. And so, yeah, I think that's a really strong argument that you see this repeated pattern. Uh, you saw it in chapter one, whenever he heard, I think, a voice like a trumpet, and he turned to see one like the Son of Man. And then the reference you made uh, back in verse five about the li- or chapter five about the lion and the lamb. Um, I think a few things that might just uh, be helpful is there's a few different views here, and I want to read it from a book. It says. Um, there's some that thinks the people uh, uh, of Israel, the, the 144,000 in chapters 7, 1 through 8, uh, and then the multitude, and of course 9 through 17 are different groups of people. Those are often people who hold to like a pre-tribulation rapture view. Um, they think that uh, you see in verses 1 through 8 some uh, – well, you see con- converted Jewish people still suffering on earth in one through eight, but then a raptured church actually rejoicing in heaven in nine through 17. Uh, there's others, uh, people of whom I know well, uh, that think that these are um, Gentiles in nine through 17 that have actually been converted by the witness of the 144,000 Jewish people on the earth. Um, but if you don't hold to either one of those views, um, typically you're going to see similar to us as um, cha- chapter seven, verses one through eight and nine through 17. That is the people, Israel, the 144,000 and the great multitude as the same group. Um, verses one through eight is the church made up of Jews and Gentiles that are sealed in trial throughout trial and tribulation. And then in verse nine through 17 in triumph, the church triumphant, right? Um, With God forever in his presence. They have been protected by God in verses one through eight for his presence with him in verses nine through 17, right? Uh, This is this, we would argue this is the same group of people here, right? Um, So, uh, and, and I think there's a couple more reasons why you can say that too. One is yeah. um, you look here in verse nine and it says these people that are standing there. Um, and again, I, I'm going I'm to go back to what it says at the end of chapter six, who can stand. And all of a sudden you see these people standing. Like, I think that's very significant right. that there's right. this, there's this uh, almost this flashing sign saying, these are the people who can stand. And right. so, if they have stood through the trial and even later it says these are the ones that come out of the great tribulation. Uh, but here in verse nine, you see them, they, they're, um, they're clothed in white robes. They're, um, they're have palm branches in their hands and, you know, 
Clinton Road, like we understand that those that's one of the things that they were promised to those who conquer in the seven churches, that they will wear white robes. And but these palm branches refer to um, a time in Israel whenever they celebrated the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, and they were they were instructed there to take palm branches and, and they shall rejoice before the Lord for seven days. So if you think about that, that they're doing this in the Feast of Tabernacles, and then also um, whenever Jesus rode in um, what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, like they had palm branches there waving and laying them down before him as he came in, this triumph um, that has happened. So you, you see both of those things, and those are both a tie uh, between Old Testament Israel and then again, again, the true Israel in the New Testament. And so um, I think those are both significant to tie those two groups of people together. That's great. Yeah. And, and I think it's just uh, helpful to remember that the, when you look at the sealing in the New Testament of why we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, it's not to say that that is all the Spirit does um, on our behalf. It's our paraclete. It's our comforter. It points us to Jesus. It indwells us um, uh, with uh, um even gifts uh, to use in the local church uh, to serve for the edification of the body and the proclamation of the gospel. But the sealing itself uh, done by the spirit seals us and protects us unto or for the day of redemption. Um, and so what's pictured here is we've been preserved. Um, we've been protected um, for his presence. Like that's the glorious hope. Now you see that group who's gone through tribulation now uh, um, praising God for triumphant victory. I mean, that's one picture of Palm Branch. This is, is just victory, victory, white robes, victory, yeah. victory, right? So Christ has been victorious. Yes, the times have been very difficult. Yes, we've gone through difficult days. Yes, some of us have given even our own lives for the Lord. Yes, there's people all over the world throughout all time enduring persecution in North Korea and in different parts of Asia and different parts of South America and Africa. And yet the hope is that though it looks dark, God's got you in his hand. And guess what? You will see him one day face to face. And this is the glorious hope of what it means to be sealed, to see him forever right he'll mm -hmm. wipe away your tears there's gonna be tears until that day right um uh you won't be thirsty anymore you're gonna be thirsty until that day right you're, there won't be hunger anymore you're gonna be hungry until that day but there will be a day promised to all believers who have been protected by god where you'll be in his presence without any more pain none um and so this is the glorious hope of what it means to be able to stand right um so, so you want to talk about just a minute, like when, when that will be? Did it sound like I want to talk about that? I thought maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So I, I, I really struggled with, and, and I, I don't know that I won't still struggle with it a little bit more, but I really struggled with, okay, timeline wise, like when we see a revelation, like we want more answers all the time, right? Because things are difficult and we want it put on a timeline so that we can kind of estimate in our own head okay is this is then this is then this is there this is you know this part this time um so um i i think we're talking about new heavens and new earth here like that's what i'm envisioning here because in revelation 21 it talks about our our eyes being or the tears being wiped off our eyes so um looks like i might need to conclude because someone's knocking my on my door but i think new heavens and new earth this is the future hope of the church triumphant Okay. 
you need to go take care of that. Go take care of that. I'm going yeah, to say absolutely. a couple more things. Yeah. Um, I think something that's real important here uh, as we, as we look at this passage too, is one of the striking images. And as Trent was talking about there, that being in the new heavens and the new earth, um, you have this striking image in verse 17 of says for the, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Well, that's one of the most striking images in scripture because lambs aren't shepherds, but here the lamb is the shepherd. And so the lamb is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but, but he is also the one who will shepherd his people. And so to me, whenever I, whenever I look at this, it it brings a greater depth to uh, a scripture that's extremely familiar to us. And I'm just going to read that for you real quickly. Um, It's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So whenever you're, going through the trial and tribulation um, that we encounter as believers. I think remembering that, that the Lord, the lamb uh, is going to, is going to shepherd you all the way through in there in the midst of the throne, all of the things that you will struggle uh, with all the suffering you have endured will, will have its consummation and, and you will find him sheltering you there around the throne. Uh, while you were gone, I just talked about the significance of the the lamb being the one who shepherds, and and thinking yeah. about back, uh, thinking back about uh, Psalm twenty three, and so um, yeah. I, I think I think this is the, this is the culmination. This passage is a culmination of Psalm twenty three, and so no more pain, no more brokenness, no more death, no more sorrow, um, and so you just have complete joy. Uh, there at the final, at the final days in the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. This great reversal where, yeah, as you said, the lamb that walked among us will be the Lord that shelters and shepherds over yeah. us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're having a confusing time with, uh, okay, is this future? Um, I think so. We've already talked about that. Um, but just notice how many times it says he will shelter. He will be their shepherd. He will guide them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I mean, if you're just reading this out loud, it sure sounds like to me that this is what lies before us as our glorious hope, um, as the church who's encountered trial, but will be triumphant. So other than that, I'm sure you covered everything that we needed to cover unless you have anything else in your mind. Cause uh, uh, no, I, no, I don't no, remember no. exactly what we were talking about before that. <laughs> hey, why don't you close us in prayer? Is that all right? Okay. Yeah. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how it uh, gives us hope. Lord, it gives us uh, the ability to persevere. Uh, whatever you bring our way, Lord, that you have sealed us and we are yours and that you will take us all the way home. 
And so, God, we put our trust in you. And, Father, I pray that as we continue to go through Revelation, Father, it would not just be uh, an academic exercise, but, Father, it would be something that would uh, create in us um, perseverance, greater faith, um, Lord, just the uh, ability to stand uh, upon your word and trust you to the very end. And, Father, we put all of our hope in you. And we pray that more and more people would do that. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you close us out? Well, we sure are thankful that you uh, have joined us and we continue to uh, journey through Revelation. Next week, we'll be looking at the seventh seal and what that means. And uh, who knows, uh, maybe Trent and I will disagree next week. Uh, there's a good chance on that, I think. And so, Are you anticipating we're going to disagree? Yeah, I am actually. Um, and so, so uh, you'll have to come back and join us to see if we will or not. So uh, until then, um, just continue to trust in the Lord.